Welcome to Season 5 of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast with Adina, Brian, Chris, and Steve, the biggest sci-fi podcast in the galaxy. The adventure is just beginning here at the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, and we invite you to come aboard the Starship Tangent. We know you'll enjoy the conversation, the laughter, the banner back and forth, and most of all, friends who love hanging out to talk about all things science fiction. Set your phasers to fun. Here we go. Good day, fans of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. Normally, I'd open with some funny bit about this or that. However, today, I want to talk about a film that has meant a lot to me, Silent Running. But before we begin, let me say that we are proud as peacocks to be part of Trek Geeks. This fine website and service to the Star Trek community has given us a home to make available to you, our listeners, all the prior podcasts of our podcasts. So if you want to contribute to this and the other podcasters like Sister, 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 Sci-Fi Sisters, thank you. Please, do, please continue to support Trek Geeks. And now to the show. But before we get going, here are the members of the big Sci-Fi podcast. They are Adina. Hi, everybody. Brian. Yo, 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 yo. It's Brian favorite, from Ohio. His favorite song. And Chris. Hey, everybody. Well, that's what, all I no got. Song? Okay. I don't, do you want me to sing a song? <laughs> I want to know what love is. Oh. I want you to show me. I've been listening yes. to that nonstop. Steve like has months. already lost all control of this episode. No, no, that's fine. A little music is always good. And of course, me, Steve, the host of today's episode. Okay, so with that out of the way, let's begin. I saw Silent Running in 1972 with the Andromeda Strain. It was a double billing. Yes, I am that old to have seen double billings at the movies, and all for the price of 50 cents. Hey, I got to see the movie Big Hand for Little Lady and the movie Bow the Bulge, that way at the theater in 1966. Now, my dad took me to see Silent Running as he said it was an important environmental film. And I didn't understand what he meant. But after watching The Andromeda Strain first and then Silent Running, I understood what he meant. Too often, sci-fi films deal with apocalyptic storylines, like Planet of the Apes, Nuclear weapons cause us to go back to the Stone Age, and apes are the predominant creatures on Earth. Or the film Soylent Green that followed in 1973 about what? Pollution, loss of food, overpopulation. What do we do with everybody? We turn them into food. So, yeah. This film did not follow that. But the idea of saving the last flora and flora and fauna of the earth in deep space leaves me with the hope that we can save our planet now more than ever. The, I had the great luck to meet the director of this film, Douglas Trumbull, at the 2019 Star Trek convention in Las Vegas when he, was a, he chaired a discussion on special effects with Mike and Denise Okuda. After the discussion, he sat with Mike and Denise to sign autographs, and I, like many in line, when we met Doug, thanked him for silent running. He, Mike, Denise, and Jonathan Frakes all signed the bottom of the base of my model of the Phoenix 
that day at the convention. I don't often ask for signatures, but to have those greats do it means a lot to me. Okay, okay, I'll get off my soapbox. That's it. Let's discuss this film with my fellow podcasters. Can I ask you a question? Yes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I've never seen the movie movie Soylent Green. You're telling me they decided to eat people? They turned them into a product called Soylent Green. And, That's uh, where the movie gets its name from. Yes. And the interesting subject is the story takes place in 2024, as I remember reading someplace. Oh, wow. So we are right in the middle of Soylent Green, kids. All right. Well, so that's interesting it's... that, you know, how things kind of come into pop culture, but maybe not 100% completely, because mm-hmm. that whole, that that uh, reveal of, oh, my God, it's people, that mm-hmm. that is the crux of the movie. And yeah. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I guess I'm a little shocked that, because I thought as a pop culture reference, everyone kind of understood and knew that. You didn't know that, Brian? Mm-mm. No, and Charlton Heston is in it, right? He sure yeah. is. So I'm a, it? I'm a, I love Charlton Heston movies for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can't believe I've never seen that. Yeah, uh, well, I think it's... Go ahead, folks. I, was gonna say, I only heard about this because I went on, into it mm-hmm. or down the rabbit hole looking for facts on my other favorite right. movie of all time, Brazil. And then eventually that led to, Oh yeah, there's a movie where people actually eat other people that have been turned into food. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's terrifying, but I had yeah. never heard about this before. So I, I just find it fascinating, you know, how there are movies and things kind of go into, you know, pop culture. And when people do and don't know about things like, you know, for example, people who don't know about Star Trek, still get some of the pop culture references of Live Long and mm-hmm. Prosper, Beam Me Up Scotty. Uh, I thought that the, oh my God, it's people, reading people, I thought that mm-hmm. was as ubiquitous, but I guess not. Um, well, so I'm just, there I'm just... is one factor you've not uh, thought of why I might not know this, and it's the homeschool factor. But that might... <laughs> No, but the thing is, but you've been you know an adult for a very, very, very long yeah. time, yeah. exposed mm-hmm. to pop culture as an adult so yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it, you know i i wouldn't well, be and surprised I grew up yeah watching charlton heston movies yeah and so to think it's of just it, one i've never saw it before it's interesting because charlton heston starred in three very unique films at the during that period of time he starred in mm-hmm. planet of the apes yep mm-hmm. he starred in soylent green he also starred in a film called the omega man the omega man mm-hmm. Freaky movie. You've seen that one? Yes. Okay. Times. So yeah, which was original a remake of a movie that starred Vincent Price called The Last Man on Earth that came out oh, in the early sixties. I didn't know that. Again, the same thing where you're the the population is gone only in um the Omega Man, it was zombies that were, you know, in uh, it kind of By, made a zombie uh, film. Uh, the main zombie leader being Anthony Zerby, Admiral Dougherty. Oh, okay. Aha, interesting. Mm-hmm. See, I, I that I don't remember. That Very good, it. Brian. Very good. Mm-hmm. So let's let's begin talking about silent running. And the first question I was going to ask is: Had any one of you had seen it prior to asking you to watch it for this podcast? And I'm guessing the answer is no. This is the first time no. for everyone. This is, yep, first time. First time. That's correct, but I wanna I wanna pick on that a little bit 
No, go right ahead. And and it dovetails into what I was saying a moment ago with the things kind of coming into pop culture or not. And that, I think that's why this has been on my mind is because I feel like I'm fairly well versed in quote unquote, you know, classic ish science fiction movies, especially movies from the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. But not only had I never seen this before. I was aware that there was a classic movie out there called Silent Running, and it was kind of one of those, every time I heard the name, oh, you know, yeah, I should look that up and and everything someday. Before I started watching it, what didn't occur to me Mm -hmm. is I had absolutely no idea what this movie was about. Interesting. In fact, I think in my head, I might have gotten this confused with Running Man. Is that the one I'm thinking? I, really? I don't know, but I think in my head, I had it confused. I had this other image of what it was. And and so... Or how Logan's I'm, Run, maybe? Are you thinking not of Logan's, Logan's Run? Run? No, no, because okay. I know Logan's Run. That's one of my favorites. So The Running I, I Man, know. which was with... Um, that was Schwarzenegger, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So yes, uh, yeah. I think it's yeah, yeah. I think, I think, the reality mm-hmm. show or something. I think I thought that this was a similar-ish movie to that. Then, so I had zero idea and i'm like how did i get i'm i'm surprised like how did i get this far and knowing that silent running in theory is this classic movie Mm -hmm. how did i not know like the uh, not an iota of this movie like like nothing like how did i get this far in life and not know anything and that's like what i'm i'm struggling with because again i feel like i'm generally a well-versed person in this stuff (laughs) <laughs> well, this is one of those cult films where it came out. It wasn't very successful in the theaters. Of course, mm-hmm. back then they weren't making a lot of money. And it's only gotten some popularity because of having seen it on TV. If people saw it that way or whatever, um, it's still considered I, kind of a, a little cult film. But still, I feel like I've been in the I hang around with people and in the mindset that <laughs> I would have come across that, you know, it would mm-hmm. be something different if you were telling me that this was a movie in a fantasy or, or some other genre that whatever. But right. this is in the yeah. genre. I know a lot of cult films. I hang out, I feel like, with the right in the right mm-hmm. crowds and nothing. I had, I, I'm so I'm completely blown away by my lack of knowledge and the fact that there are robots in it, too. Yeah, and I knew nothing about these robots. These I've never when we. You know, when I see images of pop culture robots, mm-hmm. I feel like I see everything. I don't see these. Yeah, I haven't seen those either. But yeah. I don't know. I'm in the same. I feel like I also know, but I just feel like every once in a while there's going to be a movie that even like the most hardcore sci-fi cult classic mm-hmm. people just won't, you know, won't know about. I, yeah, I hadn't heard about this so before. So not either. knowing about it. You know, like, oh, I, I yeah. don't know, like, I feel like I probably should have at least known that it was an envi- environmental related film. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't even know, like, nothing, zero. I think so you're I'm... being a little too hard on yourself, Adina. But you okay. do know about this. the Andromeda strain. Okay. You've seen yeah, that. I, yeah. I, not only did I say, I saw it in high school in a science fiction class that I took. So, okay. And I read the book, and we read the book, too. I know the Andromeda strain. I do know Logan's Run. I know Soylent Green. I know all these other films. How did I miss this one? Yes, I'm probably being hard on myself, but I don't well, know. Well, now, now you say oh. I've seen it and I know of it and that's good. And that's why that's why we have these these podcasts mm-hmm. to 
to explore strange new movies, to seek out different <laughs> films and different <laughs> genres, to go where no movie goer has gone before. Oh my God, where have I or heard that where before? so many have gone before? Oh, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. So now that the fact that you've the other three have you three have seen it, what did you think of the film? How did it make you feel? Any uh, order? It was a it was a roller coaster for me. For one thing, I'll say this: I. So I think I'm so what I usually do like agrees to do this. So I appreciate dragging her into this whenever there's a new movie that we have to watch. I'll be like, Hey, Dill, do you want to watch this with me? So we looked it up and she read the summary and I'm like, okay, that doesn't sound that exciting right now. Let's watch something else. And so I watched it kind of like, let me, let me start it, see how I feel. But once I started it, I could not put it down. I kept saying, okay, 20 more minutes, then I'll go upstairs and get ready for bed and go to sleep. But it was engaging, but it was just, it was so depressing. And there were moments where I'm like, okay, is there going to be like a happy resolution? Um, Yeah, I I don't know. It was just like, it was a roller coaster of emotions, but ultimately it was like, man, this is a really, I feel really down about the situation. It's not a happy-go-lucky film. Yeah, definitely. One of the things I found interesting about it, Steve, Yes. Is the main character is at odds with the other three guys up on the ship immediately. and But he's got one guy that's trying to figure him out and trying to soften the other guys. That was all like, Adina has pointed this out about some 80s films, like just very cringeworthy, stereotypical joking back and forth. There's the one odd man out, you know, who they don't understand and they just mm-hmm. look like a bunch of jerks and... You know, so mm-hmm. I found like it was strange to me that he was so different from those other three guys that he almost seemed like the adversary from, um, from minute one. Yeah, from the very, exactly. very, very beginning. Yeah. Now, now, of course, as the film progress, I think we kind of understand his character and some of his decisions a little bit more. Yeah, but, uh, I have, but it was there. It, well, yes. I do too, but I mean, for the sake of the story itself and what they're trying to show us and and what they're what statements they're trying to make, mm-hmm. um, it's understandable from that perspective. But I just that was very strange to me, and mm-hmm. I I came to the realization, Steve, that uh, I like Brad Dern much more as villains in films like Rooster Cogburn and the Cowboys or whatever movies he's been in he's a just, great cowboy and just he's remember still active he's still yes he like, was in once active. upon a time in hollywood he played a crazy old guy in that that's the one oh, thing about bruce cool. he plays crazy so well whatever it is that's from cool. from being in the twilight zone episode of the zanti misfits to this to other films to even in uh, once upon a time in hollywood where he plays a crazy old filmmaker or, or cowboy in that uh yeah he, it's what he does best. And in this one, he comes but across I mean, that he as did, well. Yeah, I mean, he did fine in this for what, really, if you, and Adina, maybe you can speak to this too, but I found the dialogue very simple. Like it, it you know, it was really about trying to get the message across, like, hey, we we have gotten that far gone that we care about industry and making money more than we do about caring, you know, we're just going to, for zero reason, blow up these forests 
right? They, they didn't even. Yeah. I don't think they explained why. They just they said they were going to return the uh, freighters back Industry, to commercial right. use. Yeah, commercial yeah. use. So it was a very. Yeah, well, I'm going to uh, call it a one note story mm-hmm. with very little. Deve- it's almost like it was a short story uh, that they turn into. It a movie. was though. That's that's what Douglas Trumbo. I, I watched an interview with him. And it did start out originally as an idea that he hadn't fleshed out all the way. Um, and so it was, it was, in essence, a short story mm-hmm. that they decided to turn into a film as the opportunity came. He didn't even think he'd get to direct it. Um, he was shocked when he got the call to direct it. But anyways, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, wa- I also want to say, uh, I mean, we'll talk about the good stuff, too. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. And, like, oh, and considering oh, I it was I, watching, you know, thinking about this, Brian, your 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 wife is involved in the forestry service. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's kind of like, you know, how would she feel if they told her we're getting rid of the forests? We're getting rid of all that was ever the United States forestry service and jettisoning right. it out into right. space. It, yeah. yeah. Well, so and that I was one of the his... most. Oh, I was gonna say that was one of the most unbelievable the way the way it came across. Like he is the only human who care, and it's because we really have absolutely zero idea what's really happening on Earth and everything. It's very mm-hmm. hard to believe that you know that there, he's the lone guy that cares about this. It would have been nice to know if there was say a group of people on earth who cared too. And he was the only one who's able in a position to act on behalf because right. as diverse as the people of earth are, uh, there's, there's not going to be just one human who cares about this. So there's going to be a lot of, of humans. And so that, that kind of made it hard, but that also as a short story where you mm-hmm. can't get much more detail in, it, it kind of works as a short story, but I was going to say, I, I wish I had seen it as a teen, even though I haven't seen it till now, or I, I wish I had seen it as a teenager because mm-hmm. I think I would have appreciated it a lot more because I think I was in the headspace back then to not think about it as, I guess, a film the way we think of films today, but just more focus on that one little message, mm-hmm. adding in the fact that when I was a teenager in my, um, my senior year and half of my junior year of high school, I was the president. And for those who can't see uh, what I'm doing, I'm making air quotes around the word president. <laughs> I was president <laughs> of my school's environmental club. Ah, and the air okay. quotes are because we didn't really like to use titles like that. But at the end of the day, you have an organization, a group of people, mm-hmm. and someone does have to be the leader. So I was. So my, my love of science fiction combined with my love of the environmental stuff mm-hmm. again also makes it surprising that i didn't see it back then but i wish i had <laughs> well do you think of that this film came out in 1972 um mm-hmm. earth day i think started in 1970 mm-hmm. um i was going to middle school when this film was going on and we were dealing with heavy pollution uh problems with acid food, rain acid rain i mean this was the movie that said you know when i watched it i went i understand what they're talking about in that if we don't do something there won't be any more forests there won't be any more plant life if this all goes mm-hmm. and it just the environmental movement was really starting yeah. to get going at that time i mean the epa didn't even exist i think until mm-hmm. around this same the period later of time. 70s yeah, yeah. 
Um, so, well, and then and science fiction is always, especially in like the '60s and '70s, science fiction was very deliberately used as a vehicle to to you know for a message about hey, yeah. if we keep going this direction, there's going to be a nuclear war, or this is going to be that, or mm-hmm. we're going to kill the environment. You know that. So it was very, it was a very deliberate use, and that's and that's fine. That's, that's nothing wrong with that. But did, yeah, did I, I just, go with that statement? Go ahead, Chris. Yeah. I feel like I'm in the same boat. So one thing I do want to say, going back to the acting, I actually like the performance uh, of I can't remember what's the character's name. Uh, Free, uh, Freeman. 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 So Lowell. I actually liked. Yeah. So I actually liked some of his bits. I like, like, of course, whenever there's food, I love it. So I like the whole. This isn't food speech because I'm like, this is very much like. Now this is a deep cut. This is very much like Michael Eddington in DS9 going on about his tomatoes. Uh, so I enjoyed <laughs> that aspect. I liked how he seemed a little bit crazy and how he was getting progressively more crazy, but also very calm. Um, the dialogue, the dialogue wasn't so much that I found it simple. It's just, there's a very specific way that I found, like, especially in movies of the seventies where people speak. It's, I don't know how to describe it, but it is simpler. So it's not so much. I don't think it was badly written. I just think it, for me, it felt like, okay, this is the product of its time. Um, Mm -hmm. And consider but, who the writers were. Michael Cimino, uh, yeah. who did Heaven's Gate and other films like that, and Steve Bochco, who did TV oh. shows like L.A. Law and um, another one, I forget. But anyway, you know, these these were really seasoned writers. Or maybe mm. at this point, mm. they were at the beginning of their careers and they were developing their film style, you know, their writing style. Yeah, to style. me it just seemed like it was just more of the parts of the time mm-hmm. I've seen other movies where I feel like even if you look at 2001 like um, some of their dialogue at times can be simple uh, I can't think of the character the guy at the very beginning who's giving the the conference like the press conference and he's like right. hey this is what's going on with Mars he had a very much like oh hey Frank uh, you want a cup of coffee oh yeah we're going to have some sandwich oh yeah and I'll meet you there and it was to me it felt like okay that's just a product of the time so that mm-hmm. stuff didn't bother me, but like Adina says, I wanted more information about okay, what's Earth like? What does he mean by everywhere you look, it's always the same people? Like it's, it's the same. There's no difference. Seventy-two degrees wherever you go. Yeah. The, you know they. Yeah, like what does does that mean? It's all indoors. Are they underground? Like what's going on? Are they still on Earth and they're able to survive even though there's no vegetation? Um, so I had questions about that. I felt like. This was a good first act to a maybe to a film. Interesting stuff, but I would have liked mm-hmm. more. I think just because I always yeah. like it would have been more, nice. more uh, answers to things. You're right, Chris. And I think I think if this film was remade today, they might show more of the actual situation on Earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because there's gotta be other people going like he did. This is insane. When he gets the yeah. order that mm-hmm. they're supposed to blow up everything and return around. Uh, so, cause they need the ships for commercial use, mm-hmm. like, like there's gotta be more people like that on earth and it, they just, they just didn't explore that. They just, it and was it all been, on the ship. Right. And, well, know. again, this movie was made with a $1 million budget. So they were literally, I would think scraping together what they could to make this film, right. having shot it on a derelict aircraft carrier because they gave them the room they even built sets they just used what they had so except for the models which I, as i read they're like they were like 25 feet long i mean they were oh very gosh, elaborate really? 
for the for what they were shooting because he wanted to guess the detail. And again, yeah. you know, Trumbull was a special effects man. He did Star Trek the next the 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 movie. Uh he did Motion Picture 2001. Yeah. He did Blade Runner. So he was, you know, this was something different, but he still wanted that detail on the spacecraft themselves. You can really see the budget come through in the explosions. Yes. Where it's basically yeah, a like... lens flare, mm-hmm. you well, know. Um, but seeing the, mo- like the pull apart, you know, when the models, when the dome came off. Sep- yeah. Yeah, they're doing that separation. Yeah, that was kind of neat. And they had like the debris, like little, you know, like ice chunks mm-hmm. and debris come off. Mm-hmm. That was kind of, again, yeah. some of those effects were kind of nice and nuanced. Yep. Um, and the forest itself was really, you know, like looked like a really nice place to visit. Yeah, I think they did a good job with the sets. I was like, I liked the, um, uh, I can't not stale. That's not the word I'm thinking of. Sterile. Like I liked the look, and I liked their inner their, uh, where they played pool. I liked that area. I thought that was well developed. I liked the buttons and the, so to me the stuff looked good. Mm-hmm. I just felt like ultimately it was just missing a little something. And then I have, I have like moral questions, some ethical issues, and then. Just the ending, I'm like, ooh, that was. Yeah. I thought it was going to be all right. We rejuvenated it. You've you saved the day. We're going to, you know, appreciate that. Um, are, are but we it's like, I honestly had the, not been able to stop. We're going to talk about the song too. Go right ahead. The song was interesting. <sighs> it was Joan Go Baez. Ahead, it was 1972. It so was I peace, like love, Joan and... Baez. I like her. <laughs> I, I like her music, and it, so I was. I was caught off guard <laughs> when that all of a sudden, like, there's, I was like, what am I watching? Yeah, there's there's one other song in movie history that is just as bad. No, I'm going to sing bad. it for you guys. And it was I, I didn't like it. Let me, it let me. Um, out of let place. Me, I feel like it was just out of place. Yeah, in the guitar is- music, like, uh, in it too. But anyways, here's the song that I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing a couple lines and see if you guys remember what film this is from. Okay. One of the other, uh, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the song from silent running is one of the worst songs written for a film ever. Um, I l- enjoy the sentiment of it. Mm-hmm. Nothing's wrong with the sentiment or what they're trying to say at all, but here's the song. See if you guys the moon's a window to heaven. Uh, I was listening to this. For the eyes uh, of lovers below. Oh, yeah. Come on, Adina. Come on, to, Steve. I've been listening to Final Frontier all week. Like, just put on <laughs> my headphones. And I love it. I love that song, though. I actually really like the song. I'm just oh, like, wait, are why you do this to when, when Ahura sings? Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is. Oh. I've always wanted to play to a captive audience. Boys. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm glad you chose Sorry, that, yeah, that part of Brian, and 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 not the opening to Enterprise. It's been a long time. No, that's one of the greatest television themes here. of all time. <laughs> I love it too. And, and Dill may or may not be walking down the aisle to that. We don't know. <gasps> Let what? us know. We we'll, we want a recording. Um, no, no. You and you're right. It is. It comes out of no place, and it's. But it's 
from that I think it's 1972 folk music right yeah it's very and folk so music. it's the type of folk music that would appear at that particular time and again I, I again i think it's the lyrics are fine the singers got a beautiful voice all that stuff it just seemed a little too far out there if i may mm. for a sci-fi film even to have that in there or, or, or in that way I don't, you know, they were going for something though. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah. sometimes mm-hmm. it's right on the money, and it's might be weird, but it might really work. Yeah, I no, didn't it, feel like it. It is, it is a bit preachy in its style, and that's a bit. You know, a <laughs> I think bit. it's a lot. We, I, I'm being nice. I'm being nice. It's okay. Very explicitly. Can I, can, I, can I tell you that <laughs> after I saw explicitly. this movie, I had to go out and find the soundtrack. Now it wasn't easy, and I actually went to this place near where I lived, where they made bootleg movie soundtrack tapes. And I had a cassette of it. I don't know if I still have it or not, because I I really, I mean, it really touched me when I saw it as a kid. And I always right. liked it. Um, and, and bring that, Brian, what did you think of uh, Exclude the Song? Yeah, right, right, right. The, the soundtrack, what did you think of that? It was okay. I mean, it wasn't anything you know john williamsy or jerry goldsmith but i think mm-hmm. it's i think it served the movie well i yeah, don't think was there was like I especially at the end just the sim you know the simplicity of the dum 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 right. dum as the camera's pulling back out of the ship and you see what unfolds um because sometimes you can go overboard mm-hmm. with music and it's too theatrical it's too much <laughs> And I just, I loved the simplicity in that moment. Actually, I thought that was a really good choice. Mm-hmm. But I mean, overall, I didn't, I didn't really like notice it. Normally when I don't like a soundtrack, I, I, I'm all over it. I'm like, Hey, this is terrible. I yeah. didn't, except for this theme song, mm-hmm. I, it, I didn't notice it so much. So that so I think basically it, it was kind of in. It's in the background. It's just there yeah, I think without it, it being it over, fine. you know, like the commanding mm-hmm. thing in it. The interesting thing is the man who composed it. And I'd forgotten all about who he was, Peter Sheckley. I, did, I, I didn't recognize the name. And I saw, I knew, I knew of him. When I saw the name come up, I went, oh my God, that's PDQ Bach. That's what I, that's like, he did comedy classical music. I'll be done, really. And this is the only soundtrack he ever did. But he I'll would compose. Darned. He was kind of like the Spike Jones of the 1970s okay. and so on. And okay. he, re- he just passed away last year, which I didn't know until I was watching the Grammys and they did the memoriam. And I went, oh, my God, he's gone. Oh, wow. wow. Uh, but I did actually see him in concert as PDQ Bach in too many, couple, de- couple three decades ago. And. He was the very first CD I ever purchased of music. Oh, really? Was interesting. PD, which I still have it. And another interesting fact, listeners of the Big Sci-Fi Podcast, I think every single episode we've ever had, Steve has at least one person we talk about that he's seen or met in real life. <laughs> it's like it's like you. It must just be the LA connection. Lives in Hollywood, yeah, because he lives in Hollywood. Uh, yeah. Well, when you when you get to like something, I mean, if I had a chance, if I grew up in the forties or fifties, I probably would have gone to see Spike Jones. Right, and his right. wacky wackians. I had their Spike music. Jones on cassette tapes. My grandmother gave me um, some of his music when I was real young, and mm-hmm. I listened to it for quite some time. Yeah, so he's more, but he was more known for that. That is. 
Peter Sheckley. He was no more more known for PDQ Bach and being gotcha. a classically trained musician. So to see him do a soundtrack, which kind of interesting, but uh, you know, it huh. it's it was serviceable. It was serviceable. Right. Yeah, for I it. think I think it was fine for the movie. Mm-hmm. It was fine. Now, um, were you surprised to learn that the the droids were actually people inside there? Yes. No. You were? I thought it was obvious. No, it was not obvious. Well, I thought they were puppets, kind of like Muppet style puppets. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, because they were they were people they're these are people who are amputated below the the, yes. the waist. Well, I think and I think four amputees. So yes, I was very surprised. I was not expecting I was not mm-hmm. expecting that. I thought they were gonna be puppets. Yeah, and that they were they were standing on their hands as they were yeah. doing their 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 bits, um, and again they're they're part of the story, in that the, he gives them the names of Huey, Dewey, and Louie from mm-hmm. Disney. Poor, poor Louie, though. <laughs> See, I yeah. I instantly went to Huey Lewis in the in the news. Oh, so that's where I <laughs> well, I went to. They like, weren't oh, even around movie. back then. They weren't. Yeah, movie they were. Made. <laughs> yeah, that's thirteen years before. Uh, but before but the... you know, from a from a computer point or from a storyline, this is another example of computers learning or becoming learning machines because he gives them the program to play. Who? Uh, excuse me, to play poker. And they realize how to beat him. And that's kind of was a fun thing in the film. Yeah. But I mean, he he gave, but he programmed them. They didn't go off and learn poker on their own. No, no. But once they learned it, once they were told, you know, he he puts in there how to play the game of poker. Mm -hmm. So they played. And and then the scene where he's he's falling Mm -hmm. over laughing because Mm -hmm. he just got beat by his computers. Yeah. Yeah. Which was kind of like okay, so That's they were developing their own things. personalities or their own in- intellect, so that he could, and end up leaving the one behind to tend to the forest after he uh, after the movie comes to an end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I liked that. I, I was just like, wait, how is he programming it? But at the same time, like, I, I it's a movie. Just I'll let it go. Putting but I in, find it was... odd. Yeah, those were those things that they were plopping in the top. He was mm-hmm. making programs yeah. and. You know, giving yeah. him, which oh, is, I know he was doing that. Yeah. It just seemed like okay. So he, he does he have to have the knowledge of how to do the? Oh yeah, he he does know medical stuff, so he can program it. But I'm like mm-hmm. that. That seems sketchy to me, but interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll accept that, especially because you know when I first got exposed to computers in the early '80s, that kind of you keep your program on your cassette. Right. Yeah, you know, okay. it was mm-hmm. that was kind of normal. So even though this was 1972, and it was still the day and age of um, you know, punch cards, you know, cards right. programming. Okay. Cassettes were, you know, the uh the stuff that cassettes are on. Uh, mm-hmm. um, the magnetic tape that that existed. And yes. so that kind mm-hmm. of being like some extension of you're still you are keeping the program external and then you're giving it to them and then you, mm. you know you can replace it with something I mean, that you can take it out and but that he's seemed actually like a reasonable extension of what he was, do, you know, of of the seventies. He early was doing 70s. something. They were printed circuit boards, so he was doing yeah. something using the the microscope to be able to alter mm-hmm. the programming yeah, right. based on the wiring of the uh, circuit boards. In that yeah. sense, because it wasn't very. This was, was still like you know very 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 early days of computing, 
mm-hmm. when, you know, again, it wasn't like what we do today. It was still kind of an evolution of thinking back to the vacuum tube era where it was physical things that you're doing mm-hmm. to a program, not, not what we're doing today. No. So, so that was cute. I mean, that, that for me, knowing that this movie was in 1972. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. It's fine. It completely worked. Mm-hmm. So, um, let, let's get into talking about the moral aspect of the film or the, you know, what he does, why he does it. And then at the end of the film, the conclusion of what he does, um, what did you think of the moral aspect of the film of his, his actions? Yeah. A- so this is where I had the hardest time because I understand what he's doing and I get like the greater good of like, he has to do this to save, to save the forest, to save the dome. But I was like trying to figure out, it just seemed like killing these people was like the most extreme thing you could do. Like, I, cause I had, the, I had a theory, but I was thinking about this today at work and I'm like, mm-hmm. well, couldn't he try and knock some of them out, use a tranquilizer, use something, knock them out, put them in an escape pod so that they can be p- picked up by the other two ships. But it just seemed like, like I get why he had to do it, but these are people that are like, they're not even bad guys. They're kind of jerks. But ultimately, they're just doing what they're, they're just following their orders. They're just trying to get home to see their family. Um, so it just seemed like that was really extreme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he didn't have a lot of time either because right. the doors closed, they launched out, and boom, you know. Um, so I think he was under the pressure of time. I mean, when, the, when his kind of pseudo buddy came in, uh, he, was, he was, we got to do this now. Um, and for whatever reason, even if it was just, you know, they just wrote it in, they got to do it now. They didn't explain why, um, you know, they wanted to get home. He kind of, it was that knee jerk reaction. Like I, he, he had to defend himself too. Cause his buddy swung first with the shovel and right. tore his leg up. Yeah. You know? So I think, that I think is, it's. I was gonna say that, that one's, one's a little most, less deplorable. <laughs> Right, a little and, less deplorable. That's the key thing. A little less deplorable doesn't mean that it's good. But you're no, right. It's, no, right. but it's but, also interesting. I mean, okay. I mean, there are people in prison who make, who get enraged in one moment, mm-hmm. and make the worst decision of their life to hurt another human being mm-hmm. or something else, and they're in prison. They, otherwise, perfectly good life, but become enraged in one moment. And mm-hmm. just do that. I mean, it's it's it happens. Hopefully, oh, yeah. not all the time, but it does happen. And I think that. It, uh, uh, no, yeah, you're, no, but you're, you're getting to the point where I think it happens. It's just like it just seemed like to to ha- actively make that choice <laughs> to write this character into that situation seemed like it maybe could have been handled differently, which I know is like. Well, but for a movie, I mean, you you, you know, high stakes and, you you know, drama and action. But here's the thing. And I think this this ties to, you know, reality, too, is there are people there are real people who value things above human other humans lives. Oh, yes. And he clearly this dude all about the far, you know, like saving the plant life, which is extinct. It's from his Earth. life's work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but, it, yeah. It's more, but in some ways it's more than his life's work. It's like, he thinks that that is the, the highest calling to him. Yeah. And like, he's, he's the only human in between like total utter annihilation of Earth's plant life and everything. And so to, I think that to him, 
justifies it like part you know, to him and his like messed up mind it justifies killing yeah. these people it's just hard yeah. to spend like two hours or an hour and a half with him after that like he's still yeah. i still like watching him and it was still interesting it's just like okay he did kill the like the dudes yeah so that, he's that obviously was where a little I remorseful of... he's a little remorseful well, yeah no, and is. that's where you bring the end of the film where mm-hmm. he realizes oh he thought he escaped from the other member the other uh freighters the other mm-hmm. other teams that were carrying other domes and by going through the rings of saturn and you know getting away from everyone that they would never find him until at the end of the film they find him and he realizes he's gonna have to pay for what he did and he couldn't bring himself to do that he couldn't allow them to take him so of course he does the last thing is, he does is which that, is is I'm I'm gonna push back a little. Okay, go ahead. And and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not sure. I didn't see that in his motivation for blowing up his own ship and killing. I saw him. I saw that as as one final act of him saying, "I don't want anything to do with this with these crazy people that don't you know that went this far to destroy all foliage on Earth." No, and destroy Earth. I don't. I don't think it was because the, well, the guys he, he was talking to, they well, weren't. How would they find out anything that he did? Well, because he kept making excuses as to what happened. Hey, we, hey, Lowell, we looked at your spacecraft and we don't really see something. He says, "Oh, it's on the far side." He's making excuses mm-hmm. for what, right. what leading, and they then he figured it out. And then yeah. he's sitting with the do- with the the droid and or with the the um, drone, mm-hmm. and he says, "I'm going to have to pay for my actions." Mm-hmm. He realizes he did say, "I missed that." Though. Yeah. yeah, and he just and he realizes, okay, I went to pay for my actions. I I just I killed three people, mm-hmm. and I but I still can't let the last forest go. This thing I fought for. Right. Which is he then that, the whole... that I guess yeah that, yeah I mean I've, I think they kind of led us to say he would jettison that for he would not let them get the forest and destroy it right um but yeah I guess I guess for me and I, I must have read I just missed that line altogether that's really helpful to because because I'm obviously got some wrongness in my thinking that's um, that's okay I mean. <laughs> You guys I are very wanna, detailed on a lot of wrong. things, so you know it's, if something gets missed. And again, that's that's why we're having this discussion here. So I do want to go back to something Chris said because mm. you know I think that the thing is, especially if this were to be a remake today, I think we would only really be able to accept it if that character, if he had a more socially acceptable moral compass. Where, yes, he's uberly committed to, I am going to protect this forest with my life, but I'm not going to be immoral while doing it, i.e. I am Mm. not going to callously kill other people. Yes, he might accidentally or kill someone in defending himself if he gets attacked, but the other two, those were very callous and even though he's a little under the gun pressure, there was still a little tacticalness to it because he let the dome go and detonate it, you know, like kind of very knowingly. It was a, there was a little mm-hmm. bit of planning. And so that's where, yeah, he doesn't have the kind of moral center. I feel like we need today mm-hmm. for sure to accept him as a character that we can like root for. 
Because well, even that, think about go, this, like even night, Chris. Batman refuses to kill. And mm-hmm. he doesn't want to kill the Joker, even though the Joker has messed up and has done a lot of things. So I think, Yadina, you're right that like if we were to remake this today, we there might be, okay, maybe let's not. Yeah, uh, yeah some changes. And back then, be, they, they were making films with the anti-hero. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy that, yeah, he, he does something terrible, but it's for the greater good or whatever his, his thought process is. That's, and, and it was that's all exactly, about that message. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's all what about I was. the message across. I was struggling with that because I, they, I, I, maybe they didn't. Maybe the writers and the filmmaker Douglas Trumbull didn't want us to necessarily be cheering on his character as much as the overall message they wanted to get across of just the insane situation they were all in with mm-hmm. Earth having destroyed a ton of its natural resources. But I also like I found myself wanting to like Lowell. Yeah. Uh, but I just, it, it was like, oh man, these robots are really what I like, you know, and the little the cars, they, the four wheel cars, they mm-hmm. were racing around in, you know, that's, that's what I really liked. Like it would have helped, I think a little bit more if even Lowell was a little more charming naturally. Mm-hmm. Because you know, they don't. Just, like I don't get the anti-hero vibe because usually when a movie has an anti-hero as your main character, they make a they make it very obvious that this guy's an anti-hero, but they don't seem to really make it obvious yeah. in this movie. They make it feel like this is the person you're supposed to root for. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I definitely have mixed feelings about that. Yeah, but I have it, to say though, on the side yeah. note, that pool device—I don't know why I'm so fascinated fascinated by it. But this device that I think it's like you can reset it, so it'll always mm-hmm. like play the pool. You'll it could be like okay, reset from last game, and then it uh, will. <laughs> I don't know what that's called. Why am I not thinking of the right term? But it'll try and reset the game for you. I thought that was interesting. And that was you know again very early rudimentary robotic robotic systems for manufacturing that it would yeah. pick up something and drop it into another location and so on and so. But it hits the ball. really hilarious. Yeah was in terms of like resetting the the balls to play pool slow as anything like (laughs) really come on i get wanting to play with the robot but the human you set it up just right it's like that it's like that first (laughs) scene when they all go in and you know the robot misses the shot and they're just it, you can. It's like the actors are saying, "Oh my gosh, let's get on with this." Yeah. You know, it is terribly slow. But yeah. Having the robots, you know, training them to play, you know, a game like poker. That I, I, I get. I get that. That's fun because again, yeah, you just have cool. something to interact with, and you know, and everything. Yeah, because he's all at by the himself. End of the day, right. And at the end of the day, you know, a lot of poker is going to come down to how the cards are dealt, which you know, you can't. You know, they're going to be dealt how they're dealt. I. I, and I want to get, I mean, I just want to know if they intentionally made Lowell seem crazy, like just strange <laughs> and crazy for a reason, or if it's just choices of the actor and director. Um, is it, you know, cause I just, at the very be is obvious. He was the main character mm-hmm. obvious that we were supposed to sympathize with him. And throughout the film, it was, I wanted to, but I just couldn't. And and it was honestly way more than just the fact that he killed these three guys too. He just mm-hmm. wasn't very 
likable. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, so it was hard. And I, I think that's a little unfortunate for this film. And again, nothing against Brad Dern. I really love a lot of his films, and I mm-hmm. think he's a great actor. And I even think he did great for, like, lines he was given. And he had some moments, like, when he's praying over his comrade as the robots are burying them. Mm-hmm. Fantastic acting. I mean, just, you know, really yeah. good actor. I just, in this, and this is one time where I go, oh, I just don't, I don't I'm not. I was rooting for the forest. <laughs> right. So, right. Right. Again, you know, there's go. there's not often a lot of films where it's just ends up being one actor playing yeah. all the. I mean, you've got a film like Gravity where it's just mm-hmm. Sandra, well, she's the yeah, you know, and and it's they've got to be good actors to keep you going through the entire film since they're not interacting with any other actors in the film, and I you think, think writing he, has a lot to do with that too, though. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think it yes. just. I, again, that's where I go back to the dialogue was just kind of, eh, you know, there just wasn't enough there for me to, they could have explained a lot more just with dialogue. That's true. Um, that's true. And I think I, we can I, say, it about, go ahead, Adina. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think, in, you know, again, in keeping with the time, you know, the 1972 yeah. time, it, I don't know, it, it, I want to say it fits. Just wouldn't work to you know if we were remade it today. It's we're remaking it with a fresh script in so mm-hmm. many ways. Are you talking about? I don't agree. Are Are you talking about science fiction films in particular? It fits in with how they wrote that, or yeah, well, just like explain that a little more. Because I want to say the way the way Chris said it. I think a few minutes ago about it being in some ways simple, or I was saying kind of one note ish mm-hmm. and i would say okay. it, like let's say you just read the script you know like mm-hmm. imagine someone puts the script in front of you just a script in front of you and you don't know the name of the movie you don't know what year it came out they're just so this is a movie that came out and you were to just purely read the script and you had to guess mm-hmm. the decade or possibly the part of the decade it was mm-hmm. i feel like you'd be able to guess the time period of this movie—that's the best way I can explain it. No, I think you're—I yeah. think you're absolutely right. So, if you were to remake this movie today, what would be the threat that he? What What would he want to protect now that we have? Oh, we that we could be do, losing, and you still I think, think you could, could be doing do, an environmental film like yes, this? Yes, I think you could still do something very. You know, some of the core elements could be the same. I think you mm-hmm. could still ha- say, "Hey, you know, we're having climate problems on Earth. It's going to kill our plant life. Let's send these things into space. There'll be these these domes that are keeping the plants alive, and we'll, we'll do a bunch of them to make sure that they're you know, you know, they're gonna gonna survive. And we're gonna send a team of people with them. Go." Okay, but then among the team of people, and so each each one of these ships has a team, maybe a small team of a few people, but one of them is the environmentalist, is the the biologist, the botanist, whatever, and the mm-hmm. rest of them are just support people, you know, that are just there because it's a job. Okay, mm-hmm. and the big difference, what you do is you have communication back home, so that botanist guy can be talking back to people on Earth, so he can be talking back to his homies who are also outraged environmentalists. Now you have 
the these mega structures are you know large ships are still controlled by corporations who at the end of the day don't care about plants or not they care about where money is coming and going and mm -hmm. this is no longer profitable you can still you can still do that they want to do mm -hmm. something but it's just now how that interaction goes that Lowell is maybe not the only you know one acting and then again he's got a little bit more of a moral compass so he needs to try to save the forest but he's not going to just callously kill other people to do it you know, mm -hmm. like, again, I think you can still do something very, very, oh, very similar the, with I a guess few of the these elements. Current film, the only thing that comes close to that right now, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. would be, uh, oh, my brain just went home, James Cameron's film. Blah, 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 blah. Avatar? Avatar. Avatar. Thank you. I was thinking as a better analogy mm -hmm. in some ways, not, not the environmental part, but the kind of thing is where you have someone that's got a big, I'm going to say big mission, but like the Martian in some ways has a similar vibe where you have someone out by themselves, they can commu right. eventually communicate back to earth to mm -hmm. solve whatever problems they're solving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think there is similar vibes there and why you and could say it work. And even again, gravity was a good example too, where you have someone out in space dealing with a problem. And again, well, her connectivity again, back to earth was also, uh, you know, not a thing, but I think there are you know, similar Thing, modern films that you could draw from as a way to think of this could work there there could be a modern version of this okay mm -hmm. so question Mike though dropped. because we're talking about the <laughs> like interacting with other botanists is it like it's strange that you would never interact with the other there's presumably there's two other botanists on the other two ships who wouldn't they also be as not, i shouldn't say crazy is not the right word but as passionate as him well, about the we environment or well, we, but it's just like we don't know which well, we is don't odd know that the other ships also staff the botanist he could have been originally the one for the whole fleet oh yeah i just it's we don't know nice we have no idea yeah that. and they yeah. And, and and i guess that's why they were brought it down that he was the only one who gave a rat's patootie Mm -hmm. about the in the the forest and the rest of them were all just you know come on big bill wants to go home let's blow these things up you know and like they're all going great we're going home and he's the only one who's going no i don't want to do this i don't we can't do this we can't do this and of course and goes then, to extremeness back to this point we need to make a list of all the movies we're remaking so so far we have explorers and now <laughs> we have silent running I feel like any movie that we talk about that's more than 25 years old is going to be put on that list. But here's another way to turn it around that that has a, another modern vibe. Mm -hmm. So let's say you have a team of four people per ship. May, or, or maybe it's just a one ship because maybe in reality, if you're re drawing it a little closer to space realism, they only sent out one ship. The one ship has several right. zones. The one ship with four, four, pe four crew members on it. So maybe when they get the order, hey, you guys need to, you know, we're letting these go. Um, you need to do whatever and come back home. Maybe it's really you've got the team of people who are like, wait a second, we're getting this order. How do we counter this order? I mean, yes, we want to go home, blah, blah, blah. but then you have the one bad guy who's like, nope, I'm blowing this stuff up now and everything. So instead of having the one quote unquote <laughs> good guy and three quote unquote bad guys, you flip it around. It's like the three of three environmentalists who really want to figure out a better way to do this. Mm -hmm. than the one guy who just cares about blowing stuff up and coming home. Or you could have that moment like on hunt for red October where Alec Baldwin, you're the blank chef. You're the chef. 
And then he shoots the living daylights out of him, you know, like mm-hmm. that's the guy who's been sabotaging. No, but Anyways, I, I you've, got got a, you've got a good idea good there, Redina. So, um, I do. I have lots of good ideas. You know, yeah. So two another things. Ni- sorry, Chris. Another 1972 film is The Godfather. Mm. You're telling me if you read that script, you're going to ah. be able to place it in the 1970s. No, okay. Here's a, I'm going to say here's a big difference between The Godfather and this. The Godfather well, was not sci-fi. Well, okay. No, okay, that's oh, one difference. Not, but okay. it could have been. <laughs> was based on a book. So the book, you've got like tens of thousands of words to mm-hmm. build the foundation for what became The Godfather. Mm-hmm. If you're going to lose use logic, I'm just not going to argue with you anymore. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, then. No, then let's take it. The, the film that I saw with it, The Andromeda Strain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Came so out around I've the same time. Also mm-hmm. based on a book. That's true. You're right. It was. And not only You're a right. book, who wrote the book? Michael Crichton? Was that? No. Who was it? Who wrote the book? Come on, Dina. Yes, Michael Crichton. Sorry. He was. Okay. It was Michael Crichton. <laughs> who also wrote, did he write? He also wrote Jurassic Park. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So again, but again, he's written based on a book. Mm hmm. And both movies are based, and and The Martian is based on a book. So you have detail Mm -hmm. to work Mm -hmm. with to build a movie, whereas this was a standalone script that Mm -hmm. just came out. Or as you said, Brian, possibly based on a short story that they were developing that may have come Mm -hmm. around about it. Right, yeah. But even a short story, it's, you know, it's very compact. The short story is very, yeah, it's very, there's not a lot of detail, not a lot of meat in a short story. Yeah, we have to get to the you have to get to the conclusion quickly because you only Trumbull have so many did, He did say in that interview I watched, this was very not fleshed out originally. He had the main mm-hmm. ideas of what it could be, mm-hmm. and was somewhat surprised when it was actually going to be turned into a full length major motion picture. Yeah. Um, and so then they started writing around it. So that's fair. Interesting. Interesting. Can I ask a question about the the end game? What was like, where does he expect the dome is going to go? Yeah. Say in 10, he, 20 he years. Makes that statement. That... Remember, What's he that? makes a statement about having, I once put a note in a bottle and threw it in the ocean. I don't know if anyone ever found it. So his idea was, right. I'm, I'm just launching this into space. We'll whatever see what happens. happens to it, whatever happens, happens. It's uh, as much as we have two spacecraft that have now left our solar system and they contain a, a gold record on them with information about who we are. If they're ever found by another species, we'll all long be gone, but we're hoping that, Hey, we just pin it. We put a message in a bottle. If somebody finds it, they'll know at least that we exist. Okay. So I was thinking like, was he thinking like maybe in 10 or 20 years, maybe, there'll be some other like other earth ships that might roam and be like, you know what? We see this dome. Maybe we can use it. But I did find that strange. Like, okay, I sort of get it, but I'm like, I, I'm still confused about what your ultimate. And, and how long would it and last? Well, like he didn't have, he yeah. didn't really have an end game. That's all. That's the thing. Yeah. He didn't have an end game. Yeah. He didn't. Right. Which yeah, I, 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 I agree with Steve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With that yeah. message in the bottle was kind of the, mm-hmm. his explanation for. Right. 
that that's the only insight into that. Right. And that yeah. the, you know, his, his problem was solved by putting up some, you know, high intensity lights and that would generate the, you know, the, the, the so, missing equation, which was sunlight that they were, you know, that was it. But which I also felt, I feel like that was kind of weird too. Yeah, I know. But that was a very simplistic answer to his question. Well, not that it was a simplistic answer that took him that long to figure that out. <laughs> yes. But, you know. No, he's been studying this for eight years. Like, yeah, they don't have records yeah. of. Like that, yeah. we don't know how far into the future it is, but it just seemed like surely he would have access to that he, information. That right. oh, sunlight's kind of critical. Yeah, that was a little. Like, I had a hard time with that. I know, but that was yeah. like, yeah. And again, even though, how does the system? How does the perpetuate itself to generate electricity to do this? Is it a nuclear power plant in this thing? How how does it last forever? It's it's not going to. But we don't know. He, neither did Lowell. He didn't last forever either at no. the end of the film. <laughs> and I'm okay with not knowing that. There's so much more we don't know about this film. Uh, background. I'm okay with not knowing that. That piece of information uh, does not bother okay. me that it's missing. Uh, any just, other thoughts yeah, I know, about the I know film? How they're, I know okay. how they fueled the. They kept playing that blasted song over and over <laughs> again. And that, that created energy for everything. Good vibes. That's how All the right. shit was. All Good right. vibes. Joan Baez is right now crying <laughs> because of what you said. I no disrespect. <laughs> not my favorite. All right. Sorry, Any other last thoughts before we uh, come to the uh, end of uh, all life on our earth as I, we know it? I would like to say something. I'm glad you had us watch this film. because Yeah, me too. Even though it's not the most exciting film in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, it, it's, Chris is spot on. I wanted to keep watching it. So there was something about it that kept my attention. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I think the film was a success for me. Um, that it had enough in it to make me want to keep going and actually see what happens. You know, mm-hmm. Moonfall, I could have turned off at any moment in time, <laughs> not cared without, you know. Um, I will say, though, Steve. Yes. I don't know if I want to say this. I set it off camera before you came on, but I'm not sure I want to. What? Anymore. I I think this is one of those films I'm probably never going to watch again. That's And, you know, I mean, that's obviously, you know, we all have those films. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I'm not going to be. No, I don't. Should I, guys? The suspense is killing me. Yeah, I don't know what you're referring to. Killing I will probably watch Moonfall before watching this oh, movie that. again. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah, no. Starship Troopers. You got to remember. Starship Troopers is this is different. Moonfall had... is a comedy. Okay, that's a comedy. <laughs> All right, and you can watch a comedy again because you're waiting for the genre. bad jokes that are going to be in it. Okay, uh, I'll just say this: this is not a comedy. This is I a tragedy. Moonfall. Okay, this is a tragic film. That movie isn't tragic. It's just a comedy. All right. I had brownies from Domino's and they were fantastic. That was a good weekend. <laughs> like that was before I went to Vegas. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to Vegas tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Let me just get some Domino's and some brownies, and we'll get through. <laughs> no, I, I was just at, asked brownies. to speak at an event in March, and they uh, lured me in with high-end Domino's pizza. Oh wow, really? They use nice. the words "high-end Domino's uh, carryout pizza." So, 
That hurts. I, I love me some Domino's too, does, Chris. Does it, too. Are you getting no, cheese no. in the crust? I hope you're getting no, cheese know. in the crust. I don't know. But I will say this. Adina, the best pizza I've ever had was when we went to that pizza shop in Long Island with oh, you. Oh, yeah. And we were right, at right Trek Island. Island. We got to go back. That was, that yeah. was, if we don't hit that up again, that's got to be a tradition now. Okay. I'm just saying. Yes, it really every, was. Every it year? was. It was quintessential New York pizza. It was big. It was giant slices. It had it lots so on it. It was delicious. Ugh. But I got to try yeah, your calzone. Your calzone looked great. Yes, it did. It yeah. did. yeah. And those. But those, I will say. Yes. <laughs> I I sort of want to watch it again because I still have, I think, another day or so left on my rental. I'm kind of like, I'm curious mm. about it. Because it's one of those ones where, unlike Brazil, like I can't stop thinking about it, but not because it's creepy, but just because I'm intrigued by the premise. Oh, then, and I have so many questions. And I like the way it was designed. Well, again, then give it another shot. That's great. Again, you, the fact that you all watched it once is enough. You don't have to make it your I'm favorite film, but yeah. at least we're exposing ourselves even to Moonfall. Yes, <laughs> even to Moonfall. By yes, the indeed. way, other the the other awesome classic films, science fiction films, films of the nineteen early nineteen seventies, the ones I can think of are all also based on books: Clockwork Orange, Logan's yeah. Run, Slaughterhouse yeah. Five. Oof. All based on books. Take books and make books into movies. You, I, <laughs> I, I might I, know a few books for that. Yeah, um, there's this nice I'm girl speechless. named Ruby. I'd love to see her on the big screen. I think that would be great. I think, and then we get to see if there's actually sun, enough sunlight to grow plants on Titan. Then, if it can, we know that it would have worked for this. Since he was out by out by him anyway. He was. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Silent and running discussed, and we were e neither running nor we silent in our discussion of this film. If you, our loyal listeners, have not seen this film, you can go to Prime Video and rent it. I have owned it, the DV, for many, many years, and it was a pleasure for me to watch it again. Once again, thank you for following the Big Sci-Fi Podcast. All our episodes are on Trek Geeks, and if you like this episode or any of our prior episodes, be sure to share, post, or comment on Facebook on Instagram, or whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast. And please, if you want to, send us your thoughts via email at thebigsci-fi-podcast at gmail.com. If you send us an email, I know we'll respond. And please, your comments help to move us the pecking order of podcasts. And also be sure you buy your tickets, your airline tickets, your hotel reservations, whatever it is. Whatever you need to do and be at Trek Long Island come May the 31st through June the 2nd. We'll be there to meet you and to have some fun, play some trivia or whatever, but make time to go to that event. And finally, and this is important, we don't want to have to eject our force into deep space to save them. So my suggestion to you is this. Go to your local state your national forest as soon as you can. The great president, Teddy Roosevelt, established the National Park Service over 120 years ago. Now, I don't expect you to go hug a tree, but visit a park, 
Visit a botanical garden. Marvel at the beauty of a flower, a tree, even the thorny ones. They convert CO2 to oxygen, and without them, we'd be Venus or Mars. And as always, I leave you with these parting words. Look to the sky, live long and prosper, and talk to your plants. They will love you for it. Coconut!